Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. Today, I've got John Finder. He is a, a bootstrapper who created yet another email software company. I'm looking at your face to see, to, to read you. It is. There, how many email marketing companies have I talked to? And still, about two years ago now, has it been about two years? It's been about two years, yeah. You started another one. Freaking guy goes and in under two years sells his company after years of, of work. How good does it feel to have sold your business, to have a little bit of security, a lot actually in your life? Uh, you know, a lot of security. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a change. I've been an entrepreneur for eight years now. And uh, with the acquisition, I, I am working for them for 18 months. So it's different working for the man now. But uh, really excited about the exit, um, and I think the the it was the right strategic move for us, which was very important to me. All right, the company is called Auto Close. That's close with a K. Auto Close. It's a revolutionary sales automation platform. I invited him here to talk about how we did it, and we could talk about it thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first, if you're into sales automation at all, you need to know that you could do some of that on LinkedIn. Zapto will do it. If you want to see a video of how that's done, go to Mixergy.com slash Zopto. And second, if you need a hosting company, HostGator.com slash Mixergy is where you want to go. But I'll talk about those later. First, Sean, how much did you sell the business for? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) let's just say I'll give you, it was uh, was about five times our ARR and uh, we were were doing uh, north uh, north of seven figures. Wow. All right. So do you remember the day that you closed the deal? We did. We actually closed on September 30th. And as of October 1st, I was working for Vanilla Soft. <laughs> was there like a moment? I remember talking to Barbara Corcoran and she said there was a moment when she went to the ATM and she actually saw more money in her account than she'd ever seen in her life. And she said, now it's real. Was there a now it's real? My life is going to be different moment for you? You know, it was it was funny. So similar, we I got it on, you know, now you have everything on apps. I went to my bank apps and it was like four o'clock on a Thursday. I was like, well, looks like I'm buying a new house in Toronto this week. So real estate's expensive. And I was like, okay, well, well, I, I went to my wife and like, let's start looking at houses. And did you end up getting a house? No, we're still looking. Um, <laughs> um, we, uh, we, I mean, I have a few investment houses, but uh, we're still looking. Actually, this weekend, we're going to see another five. We put some offers in, but um, you're in San Fran. We're in Toronto. You know what the market's like. Um, it's not easy. There's eight offers for every house we're going for. So we're fighting uh, another fight every day. You know, I want to talk about how you did this, but give me a little preview. You told our producer, look, this was hard to build this up. What was the hardest thing to miss out on because you had to reinvest money in the business or to see other people do that you couldn't because you're an entrepreneur and you got obligations? Yeah. So, you know, one of the biggest thing was, you know, looking at our competitors and seeing how they were scaling really, really quickly, raising hundreds of millions of dollars. And here I was trying to compete with them and stealing business, but, you know, Every month, the month, looking and reconciling our, our, our cash flow um, and growing it, you know, I, lean but profitable. And those are the two things I wanted to do, lean and profit. I don't want to have investors involved where I have to uh, spend, spend, spend. And then we either go, you know, hit the home run or we, we might be sunk. Um, so that was kind of where we did the lean and profitable. But it was tough to keep up with what our competitors were doing on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I get that. This whole thing started 2014. You launched Exchange Leads. What is Exchange Leads? So Exchange Leads is similar to the old Jigsaw, which got acquired by Salesforce. It was a data company, strictly data and B2B data. Um, But you weren't able to email that data. So we were just providing CSV files with the data. It was a subscription model. Um, 
but we just felt like we need to do something else. Because Wait, before people- you go into that, what Jigsaw did that was revolutionary was, uh, and a little sinister, but cool, was they told us if we uploaded our own email yep. addresses and contacts of the people who we do business with, which we know are accurate, they will then in return give us credits where we could get the contact information, phone numbers to uh, mobile phone numbers of people we, we want to do business with, right? So it is a trade. Is that what you did? The exact same thing. Same thing. We actually, did, uh-huh. go ahead. No, you tell me. I, I even spoke to Jim Fowler the, 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 and Garth, who, who started Jigsaw. We did the exact same thing, not at a scale like they did, but we did the same thing where you upload your contacts. People are uploading 10,000 contacts. It would go into our pool. We give credits. You use those credits to download. Now you've got double the credits. We double our credits. We're both happy. But how did you build up the software involved in that? They were really, it was a good uh, interaction that I had when I was on that site. Yeah. So we couldn't scale at that amount. So we were bootstrapped at the beginning. So we, we initially had about, I think, four to 5 million contacts. And then month over month, as our clients grew and they kept uploading and uploading, it kept scaling. Um, but at the same time, when they had their exit, data was you know a lot different than it is today. Now there's so many different data players than there was 10 years ago where Jigsaw was the person. So um, we didn't have a difficult time. We grew the business, but we just need to find out what was next. And that's why we moved to the email from the data. How much work or how much money was involved in creating that one-for-one software that that managed all that? So funny enough, I was working the entire year we had it developed and to build that software cost me about only $30,000. That's not bad. Uh, it was, that was the first exchange lead cost about 30,000 and the lead developer still, you know, still with me today. Um, good friend of my co-founder, but we spent 30,000 while I was working VP of sales for a software company in Toronto built it on the side. And when we sold our first $49 deal, platform was ready. I made the big jump. How did you know that there was a market for it? I knew that. Well, the reason why I came up with the idea was when I was hired as the VP of sales on day two, we ended up getting a list, wiring money to some data company. The list was just terrible. And I said, well, listen, we have money and we're spending good money and we're not getting quality. Why not just build a platform that provides high quality contacts? And I came up with the idea literally on day two of my job, Went to my, my at the time now, uh, well, he was a time he was a VP of tech there, um, now co-founder of mine, um, came up with the idea in Eastern Europe, got it done within about eight months, built the platform. And uh, and as soon as I, I always had an entrepreneur at heart. So even though I was having a six-figure job, secure job, pension, RSP, et cetera, I, uh, I made the leap to uh, move the entrepreneur away and I never looked back. I have this sense that there's a market for something like this now that's maybe even simpler. I'll give you an example. A lot of the entrepreneurs that I've interviewed or who I talk to even more so, the ones who I talk to who are building new businesses, they want to sell to businesses that had just raised money. They want to know who in those businesses is making the decision for software because they just got money, they're willing to spend it, and they need to spend it fast. So imagine if you could get, and this would be maybe even be done by human beings, a, a search every month of who raised money and has been promoting it. Then you use the infinite number of software now that will get email addresses off of LinkedIn, yeah. get the email addresses and the names of the people who are there as the decision makers. There's not that many people there, right? And then you put that together as a list that you sell for like 20 bucks a month at first or a hundred bucks a month. And then you start creating these custom links. I see you list. I see you smiling. What do you think of that as a business model? Well, it's funny you say that because the, the founder of Jigsaw, Jim, started Owler and Owler 
actually helps you find who raised money. You get notifications. So you can use Crunchbase, there's Aller. You can scrape all those sites. If I want to find exactly who raised money this week, you can get that data. You can get any data. And as everybody's, you said, you everybody's putting in that work, but it's a pain to do, right? Imagine we just give you, here's a CSV, file with all. In fact, it doesn't even have to be that. You know what it is? Everyone's using one of these smart spreadsheet software. You yeah. Use Gumroad to sell it. Smart spreadsheet, you start collecting customers and then you build it up and build it up and you do it on a subscription basis because every month there are new people who are, who are raising money. What do you I think of that? It. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, listen, I think it's a, it's a great, I think people, you know, right now they want to know who their clients are at this time. They don't want to have to search and go to right. these random big databases. When you know a, a, a company just got a series A, attack them like a pit bull because you know that they're <laughs> ready. You know, they're ready to spend money. Um, yeah. You don't have to worry about the money being there. They raised 20 million. Well, they have money to spend $200,000, $500,000 on your subscription. The next thing I might want to do is do some kind of a search. This is just me like brainstorming here with you. The next thing I might want to do is do some kind of a search for who just got hired at a startup at a, at specific positions. You know, one of my uh, past guests created, uh, I think it's called Entelo. It's this, it started out a software that would tell companies when employees were ready to find a new job because they were cleaning up their LinkedIn profile, which meant that they were trying to go out and get a job. Ah. And that's when you should be trying to hit them up, right? So you could tell when somebody made a move even faster, like if there's a new VP yeah. of sales at a company, they're willing to think about new software. They're willing to think about new hires. That's when, you, so you sell those lists, the list of people who've just transitioned to a new company with their company. All right. Buyer, in, buyer intent lists. There you go. I had the sense that you told our producer that you're not entrepreneurial because you are like a semi-professional tennis player. And because <laughs> I guess it took you a while to start your first big business. But but what's this thing that you had in university where you were doing some kind of distributing packaging to companies in Canada? What's that business? Yes, still do it today. So I started this uh, at a very young age. I um, had a few cosmetic companies here in Canada that were looking for packaging. At the time, I was working for a packaging company here in Toronto but we were only dealing with companies that were MOQs, minimum order quantities of five, 10,000 cartons, okay. for example. And they would come and say, well, I only need a thousand starting out. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get them done in Asia, bring them here and sell them. So funny enough, I started about 12 years ago and those same companies today that, well, 12 years ago, they were buying a thousand cartons. Today are buying a hundred thousand cartons. So it's still a side business I've had today. I've done it for 12 years. Um, you know, I'm a, I basically have the boxes delivered to my house. I rent the truck, bring the truck, bring it to the manufacturer. I'm the middleman. And uh, as you, I, I, don't know, I, I don't know if you know, but you know, obviously buying stuff in Asia and bringing it here can be a very fruitful business um, because there are a lot Are of you just nice buying margins. boxes and then taking it to manufacturers in, China, in, in Canada? Cartons. So we're doing the cartons. So for example, lipstick cartons. So not the big boxes, more just the paper cartons that might be with a, you know, a shampoo bottle inside or a cream inside, just those cartons. So they're smaller cartons, but we would bring in about a hundred thousand on a plane. Um, I get on a 30, plane? 40 bucks. Oh yeah. 30, 40 bucks outside my house. I rent a truck, put them in the truck, deliver it to uh, the manufacturer about half an hour away. I've got about, about eight clients I've had for you know 10 years um, running it by myself. You're still doing this yourself. Are you still driving the truck? You wouldn't believe it. I still drive the truck. Uh, this this is prying in your life, but what size revenue are we talking about for this? I mean, for me, for me, it was always I learned how to do business by doing everything. Um, so I still do it because a, I never want the manufacturer. I have to make sure every box has the label taken off because I don't want them to find out who I'm actually getting manufactured by in Asia. So do I want to trust somebody else to do that? So for me, it's you know it's an hour and a half of my day, and it's you know it's it's a break for me. I can listen to a podcast on my drive. Yep. I drive the truck. I go home. It's like you know it's like my mental health hour that I get, and it's a very easy hour. And I, and it's still 
builds that relationship with my clients that, you know, I'm still doing the groundwork from day Sean, one. I get the sense that also it comes from a place of paranoia. And I, I say that because I've got that, <laughs> that whew, I, it could all go away. Right. And so you need some kind of revenue that at least is there as your backstop. Am I right? Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. It's not, I, I mean, we're not talking to you. I mean, I, you're I not living off of it. Seven, you know, 75 K a year, maybe, maybe a hundred K a year on a good year. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not. That's, definitely, that's profit or revenue. That's profit. Profit. So that means, so worst case, whole software goes to pot. People don't like it because you did something online. You're delivering boxes. You could get by in Toronto. Well, it's tough in Toronto, but you could get by for 75 to 100 a year, right? Yeah. And, and to yeah. be honest, it's, 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 it's only about uh, four hours a year of my life. I, yeah. I do four deliveries a year. That's it. Why didn't you want to expand that? That seems like a pretty decent business. You know what? I tried, um, but uh, it was it was early on, and when I was doing it, I didn't have you know obviously the wealth I have now or the time I now I had to, I had to find a real job that would pay the bills and pay the rent here in Toronto. That yep. when I initially started didn't, but you know now that the companies have grown over ten years, just like any company, um, I mean you know those companies are now doing millions and millions of dollars when before they were just starting out. All right. So lead, uh, exchange leads was that first business about $30,000 in order to get the software up and running. How did you get people to put their data into it? Um, I guess they trusted me, but, uh, but ideally, find them, I, was, I mean, I mean a, a lot, uh, don't get me wrong. A, you did have this, the, some people said, well, I'm not sharing your data. We'd have uh, terms and conditions and all this you know, NDAs we would sign and all huh? that stuff. But ideally you'd be surprised. There's a lot of people that just wanted more contacts. They didn't really care about sharing it because they might have bought that from somebody else and uploaded it. We don't what know I where mean they is, got. What, how did how did you advertise yourself? How did you get all that attention? Jigsaw got a lot of attention because they were doing something revolutionary in this world where oh. just sharing economy was starting to hit, and they did sharing with a twist. It was literally just personal branding and content. We spent zero dollars on marketing and content. I, so you were writing a bunch of stuff. We had bloggers, we had content writers in house that were okay. writing content, you know, content, content, LinkedIn videos. Um, doing a lot of different things, but it was all more organic. Nothing was okay. done through paid ads. And the revenue was there's some people who don't want to pay, who don't want to upload their files. They just pay you for a set of number of contacts, right? Exactly. But we you were also lucky. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You basically copied Jigsaw. That was their model. We, we basically copied Jigsaw. We got lucky that in, in the first six months, I got a six figure contract by a big company here in Canada, which that helped the growth and obviously paid the bills. And also, to be honest, paid to start auto close the next, the next platform. What's the type of business that would need that many contacts? Uh, telecom. Okay. Got it. It was. Yep. Do you want to say who they are? You don't have to. Um, let's just say the largest telecom in Canada. You can Google okay, it. Everyone find it. They, they can find it very easily. <laughs> Sean, I just don't want these awkward conversations I have after interviews where now it's not just people who contact me saying, can you edit this part out? But they have people, they, the guests have people whose whole job is, I guess, to interact with uh, with the media and to persuade me. I, that's, I hate those conversations. I, I put so many checks and balances into my process to let you know, Sean, <laughs> I'm not editing it out. And still people come in and say, well, but for me, you could, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. So you had a good business with exchange leads. Yes. And then there was a small problem, which was that people needed to email them. Why was that a problem at all? Well, it wasn't a problem, but I felt that everyone's using our platform. I'm building a brand. They're loving exchange leads, but now I'm sending them to a competitor or somebody else to actually make money off them sending the emails. And I said to myself, mm -hmm. well, why don't I build a platform that actually combines and consolidates the data and the email all in one? And I think all platforms are going that way with consolidation now. So what we decided to do was build the auto-close platform 
um, which was already out there, but we were going to be one of the first to have the database inside. So you don't have to buy third party data. We actually own the data and we own the emails. Okay. All right. And I, I uh, keep saying uh, lead ex- leads exchange, but it's exchange leads. I'm on the site, exchangeleads.io. Yep. How is that business doing? You still own that? So the part of the acquisition that was, you know, that was part of the acquisition. That's the one that kind of has all the data. So mm-hmm. all the contacts that are in, inside AutoClose are through exchange leads. The subscription model does not work anymore. We, we kind of um, moved everyone onto the AutoClose platform. So all of our clients from exchange leads have moved on to AutoClose. Um, but both businesses were acquired as one in October when we got the acquisition from VanillaSoft. And so where, where the, where, so you still get leads for your clients. They still pay you for leads. So yeah, we still have, we have a contact database of 37 million inside the AutoClose platform. So you can purchase the contacts inside the platform and email them from directly inside the platform. Got it. All right. I see how you combine the two. I, um, now I'm following. Let me take a moment, talk about my first sponsor. Then we'll come back in and talk about the rest of the story. My first sponsor is a company called HostGator. I think actually. The idea that I had earlier is a, is a natural for HostGator. Somebody who's listening to us needs to do this. They go, what do you say? Owler to see who's raised money, but Crunchbase, uh, AngelList, and, and so on. It's a good place to do it. You can probably do it yourself for a couple of months, and then you hire a, a VA to do it for you, right? You do that, and then you go to what? Like HeadReach or something to find the the people, who, the email addresses of the people who are in, in the company, right? Yeah, or Hunter.io. There's many, there's many different ways. Hunter.io. Exactly. I th- I think we've got subscriptions like two or three of them because I needed to find <laughs> guests here for Mixergy. All right, so there's the idea. Just package content, package package uh, contacts. Do you think that that's a? Did you get did you get a lot of blowback from people when you were selling email addresses? I wonder if I'm gonna if somebody's copying this idea if they're gonna get some blowback from the tech community. Why? How dare you sell our email addresses? Yeah, you're always gonna have a few people that complain. Um, I mean, at the end of the day. People need contacts. People need emails to do business. It's never going to go away. So you're always going to have, you know, just like any business, you can have some of your sour clients. You're going to have some of your clients that, that love you. But uh, as I said, data is a huge part of everything. Every single company, every app you use is using data. Um, so I don't think there's a reason why you can't have their email. All right. Whether it's that idea or anything else, take it to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. When you throw that slash Mixergy at the end, they're going to give you the lowest price they have available. They'll also take really good care of you because they know you came from Mixergy and you'll get up and running with the same hosting company that I use to run Mixergy. Easy to work with, easy to grow with, and they will continue to build on as you build your business. But by that, what I mean, Sean, is people will see that it's really inexpensive and they say, well, I, I, what happens when we get to millions of hits a month? They'll scale <laughs> with you and they'll still keep the prices low hostgator.com slash Mixergy. All right. So you saw that there was a problem. You saw that people needed you to, to uh, they wanted an easier way to send out email. How did you build the first version of AutoClose? So funny enough, we um, we ended up, um, there was a few competitors out there and we, we thought we can do it better. So I actually had uh, an outsourced development team out of Serbia that met us in New York. And uh, we went through it. Now, luckily it was my co-founder's um, good friend. So he knew them. So we had a personal relationship. We had them, we had them build out an MVP, um, took, took about six, seven months for them to develop it um, with the outsourced team. And then, um, you know, built the MVP, had a lot of momentum going to the MVP. So when we actually launched, we had a, obviously we had the exchange leads clients we can, we can sell it to and other people. But uh, I would say it took our first six months to get the, the MVP out there. What was in the MVP? 
it was just your basic email automation. So it was basically, um, you know, there was no video emails. There was no, um, you know, team tabs. It was all, you know, if you want to go in and send automated emails, basic. It was very basic and no additional features, no reporting, no analytics, no A-B testing, none of the features that people are looking for nowadays. And the reason that your customers were willing to do it is because you you were skipping a step for them. And that's the one advantage that you had over your competitors in the email software space, right? Yeah. So it was instead of, you know, instead of people going and going to buy an email platform, then going to buy a database, we basically put it all in one. It's all in one house. We can combine the prices and build the model of subscription around it. Um, so they liked how it was all under one umbrella, um, everything inside the AutoClose platform. But they would have already had that, right? They had like a MailChimp or whatever to send out email. But the thing with those MailChimp is the biggest difference for us is we are personalized, meaning we, you know, we still use MailChimp in-house as well, but that's more marketing blasting your 10,000 subscribers, your 20,000 subscribers with us. It's more personalized one-to-one emails where they're going directly from your service. So your delivery rate, open rate, uh, reply rate is a lot higher. Because, and this is what we were talking about before, you're using Gmail to send out the messages. Exactly. So we connect directly to your Gmail or Outlook, your GoDaddy account, and we email directly from your email. So if you go to your sendbox from your Gmail, that email will be in there. Whereas if you're using a MailChimp, it won't be in there. What was the first version? A Chrome plugin? No, we haven't even built a Chrome plugin yet. Uh, first version was a desktop. Um, it was not a Chrome plugin. Wish we did the Chrome plugin. It was actually part of the plan but we wanted to get it at something out there right away. So it was a, it was a all online. We even did a mobile, but it wasn't as good. Um, it was a lot tougher with the emails on mobile. Why? What's the problem with mobile? Well, it wasn't really a problem. It was just, um, you know, more people are going to be sending emails and trying to do AB testing and all that kind of fun stuff. It's easier to do it on a computer. Whereas if you're trying to check everything on the app. It just, it, it was too much to fit into one little screen. So we had a lot of difficulties uh-huh. early on with the mobile device. Um, we made that the mobile device, I think after nine or 10 months of development, we finally got the mobile out there. Um, but I still think right now, probably 90% of our clients aren't using the mobile. When you launched that first version, what was the first feedback that hit you in the face and made you think, ah, oh, this is, this is painful. So, you know what, it was, it was, I have to give the developers a lot of credit. They did an amazing job. Um, what we did early on, I did four months before the MVP was ready, was I built an email list. And what I did was I had people feel for the last four months, they were part of building it. So I would actually send them a questionnaire saying, Hey, I'm thinking of doing this. What color do you like for our user interface? Um, and I basically had them. So when we actually launched the business, I sent one mail out and said, and everyone that came to our webinar to see how the product looked, they already felt like they were POC committed. They felt like they were part of building it. Which was a, which gave us a big. We had about I think 800 demos booked in the first 48 hours. I only had two sales, well, one salesperson and me, and that was the only people we had at that point. So it was a wow. it was a pretty big launch. And you wanted to do a demo because because I wanted to get their feedback. Um, it's easy it's easy for people to go do a 14 day trial and sign up or not show up, but I needed them to come in. And and my whole thing was I would give them a lower price if they gave me two to three things that are wrong with the platform. So instead of asking for what do they like, I asked, what do you dislike? And I said, I'll give you, I'll give you a 20% discount if you tell me two things you dislike. And then what we did is we built a, a big spreadsheet of everything they disliked and, you know, week over week, sprint over sprint, kept tackling those, those initiatives. And what it was, was you saying to them, the software's ready. If you want it, book a demo with me. You got 800 people who book demos on your calendar. You sat down on these Zoom sessions and I'm assuming it was Zoom, right? Yeah, it was Zoom, yeah. 
You watch them. It was, install- it was actually GoToMeeting back then, oh. but then we moved to Zoom. <laughs> and then you watch them install it on their computers. Watch them connect to Gmail and send it out. Is that right? Oh no, we just showed them how the platform works, and then once they actually get the platform, it was we had recorded videos and onboarding videos. So it was just to show them what the how the tool actually worked. We didn't actually connect emails, but now uh, we do have customer success team that actually white gloves that onboarding approach for people. What was the price for the first version? So you want to hear what I did, Andrew? I yeah. actually, and I heard this from the Drift CEO, David Cancel at a conference. We spoke about it. He, I was like, should I give it a fr- for free? He's like, charge them whatever they want to pay because you need them to have something incentivized to go in. So what I actually did was we would do the demo and I'd ask you, so Andrew, how much would you pay for the software? And you Ooh. might say 10 bucks a month. It's yours. You might say $1. And I actually said, it's yours. You might say $30. So whatever they said on the price, we just took it. I had some people on a dollar subscription a month, $5. I didn't care as long as they charged, I charged a minimum of a dollar. I was happy because I felt like they were involved with me with the process. I think I, if I were talking to you, I would up the number. I would say $50, $60. Cause it's awkward. It's the founder or frankly, anyone at the company. We Is had that what some. was happening? We had some, we had, you know, we had some at 50, 60, but early on with our, with a lot of the people that were following us, they were very like solopreneurs and small, small uh-huh. businesses. So, you know, we had people that would joke and say, well, I'll give you a five bucks. Ha ha. And I'm like, you want it for five? You can have anything. It wasn't about the revenue for me there. It was more about, I want as much feedback to build the best engine. So what, so, what was the big feedback that you got? Uh, early on was, um, it wasn't, you know, it, to load in, the loading was very slow. We had some of the loading problems. Um, our user interface was uh, just like my co-founder developer, like black and white. It wasn't like colorful enough. It wasn't lively enough. Um, people wanted reporting. Um, people thought the statistics, the analytics, we didn't provide the right analytics. So we weren't doing, you know, the, your click rate, the open rate. People wanted A-B testing. want to test a text email versus a video email. So a lot of those stuff was part of it. They wanted A-B testing at that at that period, even early on, that's oh, yeah. that important. Yeah. We had some people that wanted to like, they should have been, they would come on the calls with me and pretend like they're the founder saying, why don't you have this, this, and this? I'm like, well, why don't I have 50 developers? <laughs> like, so you get, you, we had a, a bunch of people, uh, some great cl- early clients, but also some that were, were really, you know, just, just complete headaches. They would, we, we opened up a 14 day trial and within an hour, we'd have one person sign up you know, Andrew one, Andrew two at Gmail, uh, Andrew yeah. three at Gmail, Andrew, and literally set up a hundred to start stealing our data. Cause we had some flaws with the data as well at the beginning where people actually could take the entire database because we were allowing them to see the data before they campaigned. So we had a lot of issues early on. Okay. Um, you, you told our producer that it was originally you and an AE, an account executive yep. who are doing this, who, who are finding, finding leads. Did you even need to find leads beyond the leads that you got already? Well, so we had, we were closing at a very good rate. We were closing about 30, 40%. So once we exhausted those 800 in the first six months, I think those demos, okay. um, we still, still to this day, I have not spent a dollar on marketing. Um, even to this day, we never paid people. We did a bit of retargeting once, but you didn't really get an ROI on that. So we need to find more demos. So we used stuff like LinkedIn. We used our own tool um, and we kept growing it. But after we exhausted those 800, you know, after six months, we needed a top of the pipeline, um, which is why I ended up hiring three SDRs out of Serbia to help us find each of us leads for them for that sales month. development rep. What were they doing? SDR. They use AutoClose and LinkedIn. 
those that's it. We didn't put them on any calls, no cold calls. They were on LinkedIn doing LinkedIn automation stuff, like um, reaching out. Well, LinkedIn well, automation, they- like. So like you connect with somebody and then you'd reach out them with a, you know, Hey, are you currently using a sales engagement platform? Just start conversations and try and get them to commit to a demo with me or my other AE. All right, dude, this is so fitting in with my second sponsor. You said you never heard of Zopto. You basically, you need it. Let me tell you how this works. Basically what you just mentioned, that's what Zopto will do. Now you can do a search for people based on title on LinkedIn. You could do a search for them based on number of people, the company based on all kinds of stuff. You could even into Zopto and LinkedIn, bring in people who use competing software. Like if they happen to maybe use Drift, maybe you realize people use Drift are a good customer. You could bring in people who use Drift and then find the sales, the, the sales, the VP of sales at those companies. And then those are the ones who you target. You could even say anyone who's been on our site, I want to target them, the salespeople at those companies. So you do that, you get your list together. And now that's tough enough. Zopto will make it easier. The next step is contacting them. Like you said, you want to send a message that says, hey, Sean, I saw that you're using this. We thought you might want to understand about our software. Can I send you a demo? That is what the SDRs do. Zopto will do that on autopilot. Just send out messages for you. Automatically fill in the blanks with their name, fill in the blanks with their company name and so on. And then if somebody responds and says, actually, Andrew, we were thinking about it. Boom, that goes directly to the person on the team who gets to respond so that there's no human, uh, there's human back and forth. There's no human in the first step, but as yeah. soon as somebody responds, you're there to close it up. That's how it works, Sean. What do you think? I think it's going, cool. there's a lot of LinkedIn automation tools. I, I, I definitely have to check it out. Um, we've used, we've used many of them. I know LinkedIn tries to um, not allow it, but I, I think there's so many platforms out there now that are using it and obviously saves a lot of time and helps you build your network. If you're out there and you're listening to me and you want to see how this works, I've got a demo video that you can walk through and see exactly how this works. I've seen people love this so much that they use it for their business. I've seen others say, you know what? This is going to be my new consulting company. I'm going to get leads for other clients and charge them per lead. And all you need is Zopto, the software to do it. All right, here's the URL where you can go see the demo video right now for uh, for free. Of course, for free. Here it is. Mixergy.com slash Zopto. That's M-I-X-E-R-G-Y.com slash Z-O-P-T-O. All right. How did that work out for you getting these leads with the SDRs? Uh, and, you know, so far it's worked out well. Each of them have to get 16 demos per month for our AEs. That's what their, their quote is right now. And all they're doing per- is just typing away. It's not automated. It's them sitting down and sending messages out. No, they have LinkedIn automation running and then they're using auto close for their emails. And then they're building those connections on LinkedIn. So they're getting involved in conversations. They're commenting on people's posts. They're reaching out, but each of them have a quote of 16. And then we give those to the AEs and the AEs obviously try and close them. We close about, I'd say 70 to 75% of those. Um, and then, uh, and that's where we grow our business. Dude, that's, that's like a freaking army working. Where do I see it? Is there a video where I can go see that? Or you guys have a write-up about how you do this? We do. On our, we actually have blogs. And uh, funny enough, I am currently writing an entire book on everything from my zero to exit. Um, all the mistakes we made, everything we did. So I'm uh, probably over a year away, but we just started writing the book uh, about two weeks ago. So um, we're going to be talking about everything, but our, our website has all the content from our SDRs, um, tons of content on how to use them, how to scale them, what KPIs you should be giving them, et cetera. Well, you know what? I did look at your content. I went to SEMrush to see where's this guy getting his, co- his, his audience. One thing stood out, Libsyn is sending you a bunch of traffic. What's going on? Is this like part of your podcast thing where you're doing podcasts um, as a way of growing traffic to your site? Why is Libsyn sending you so much traffic? I, you know what? I have a marketing, I haven't looked at that, but I do know that, for example, last year I did, I was a guest on 77 podcasts 
last year. Wow. And, you know, just today, this is my fifth one. So I do a lot of that because it gives good SEO, good backlinks. Um, I'm actually starting my own podcast. So I'm guessing it's probably through all those different podcasts um, that the traffic's coming from. Ah, uh, okay. I, I see it. How effective is it beyond traffic? So yes, you're getting a lot of backlinks. We're going to give you a link as soon as this interview is on and we publish yeah. it. What about, um, like, do you, do you see the customers come through from that? Is it worth your time? Because you're the CEO, you're spending five hours today just doing this. Yeah. So, you know, f- funny enough, um, I didn't for the first month, but the later half, the latter half of 2020, I had a lot of people connect with me on LinkedIn, said they heard me on a podcast. They'd love to have a demo of AutoClose. So we actually did end up getting a lot of demos through the podcast. And it's not only that, it's also about personal branding. I'm all about personal branding. I think it's the next 10 years is all about what your brand is. And there's no way, better way to help your brand is to get on video, get on Clubhouse, get on podcasts, get on all these different things um, to help your personal brand. What's done, uh, how have you gotten podcast guest appearances, if we'll call them that? What's worked for you for that? You hire a team to do that? No. So, you know, I, I personally reached out actually. So what I originally, what I did, um, I did more sales podcasts, um, all talking about sales because I've done a lot of keynote speaking and I went to the top 50 sales podcasts and I just got, I had my, my data guys use hunter.io, get their email. And I put them through AutoClose, sent all 50 people through AutoClose and asked them all to, you know, if I can be a guest. And then it was on some of the bigger ones, like the John Barrows, JB, um, Jeffrey Gittimers. And then what happened was, um, this year, you know, because of the acquisition, I'm going on entrepreneurial podcast. Right. So, so this year I've, you know, every podcast I was on today was talking about my acquisition, about the exit, about, um, you know, informative stuff and value. Cause my whole thing is, you know, I've been through it now once I want to help other people that might go through it or are thinking about going through it to let them know, you know, these are the mistakes, these are things to look for. And these are things that can help you get there. Right. I don't know why I keep coming up with ideas for some, I've, I've never been a come up with idea guy. I actually, I do know what it is. I'm freaking listening to this one podcast. Uh, Sam Parr, a friend of mine created a podcast where all he's doing is coming up with business ideas with his, with his buddy, Sean. And so that's what keeps coming to me. But that's another idea for a database, right? Imagine this. I get a VR, a VA. In fact, I don't need a VA. I just email you, Sean. I say, Sean, give me the email address of the people you found. Help me out. I'll, when I'll, I'll enrich your data. I'll give you the email address of the people I find. Or maybe I get a VA so I don't hassle you for that. But we put together a list of the email addresses and the names of the people who have the who have the top podcasts yep. in a different category. And we just sell that, right? And then every month, maybe we add to it. So it's a subscription. What do you think of that? Is that a good business idea? I mean, def- I mean, listen, podcasts are huge. I mean, look at it was a Joe Rogan that just got what a hundred million dollar offer from yeah. Spotify for his podcast. So I think Spotify, I'm sorry, Spotify podcasts are just growing and growing. I love them. Um, I think it's a you know, I know for example when I go for my walks, I don't, I want to listen to a podcast. I listen to tons of podcasts. So I think it's a great business. Um, the thing is, there's 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 new. One, I mean, you'd have to update that data all the time because there's new ones coming out. All even the better, time. then you get a subscription. Exactly. Yeah. No. Okay. All right, people, if you steal any of these ideas, just contact me. I have no problem with you stealing the idea. I want to hear how it went. Uh, Give Andrew a royalty. I don't need the royalty. <laughs> Maybe we just start this out on our own. And please don't put my email address on there. I don't need the agita. Dude, I get so many emails now from people who want to be on the podcast. All right, you said you talk about some of the problems. So far, everything's been going nicely. Give me a problem here. Let, let me feel like you're a real person and not somebody who's everything working out for. Well, there, there's there's all there's all there's always problems. Um, you know, one of the things right now, uh, you know, it's not a problem, but you know, it's uh, a change. Is you know, once you get acquired, and you know, now I'm working for the company that acquired us. Is you know, the the pace. 
you know, as a, as an entrepreneur bootstrapped, it's go, go, go. It's hustle, hustle, hustle. It's wear many hats and, and, you know, you might have processes, but sometimes you'll pivot from them. Um, but when you work for a bigger company, it's, it's, there's a lot of processes. Everything's, you know, well, slowed how about, down. How about building up to this? Well, what's the problem building up to the, to the exit? Obviously you said one of them is your challenge. You don't have as much money as your competitors. You're yeah. watching them. Who's, who's a competitor who you're watching and we're in pain, watch and grow. I, I reached out. I own sales off. They were more enterprise, but they were, they were great. I mean, one's a billion, a unicorn company right now. So why do you think they became a unicorn company and you didn't? Well, they raised a ton, a ton of money, um, had 20 times our developers, 30 times our sales staff. So just much more resources. Um, and one thing, you know, for us was when we're bootstrapped is we have to keep looking at our cash flow every month to make sure, do we have enough money to pay next month? And you can't scale too quickly because then you risk losing the entire business. We had to all continue to monitor every month, the month when we were strategically, you know, with hire new people. You told our producer that was one of your big regrets that you didn't even go more, spend more of your money to grow, right? My biggest regret was hoarding money. Yes. So and we ended up having, what would you have spent it on? I would have spent it on marketing and sales and even developing a little bit. We had over six figures in the bank when the acquisition happened. And to be honest, if you're going to go through an acquisition, if I would have spent that six figures over a year and a half with my team, hired more salespeople, probably would have gotten a two, three X bigger acquisition at the end. Uh, so one of my biggest regrets was always trying to keep money to make myself feel like the company was so secure where I should have actually been spending the money closer to the acquisition. You mentioned Joe Rogan. One of the things that I keep hearing him say is he says, hurt people, hurt people. It's like, that's, that's where you see that he's like an emotionally connected person. I have this thing where, where entrepreneurs with entrepreneurs, I'll vary it a little bit. It's hurt entrepreneurs hoard money. It's like, if you've had a really bad pain in your life, you got to hold on to the money. What was it for you? Be open. You know, it was, it was just, my business was my life. And if I ran out of money for the business, you know, I lose everything. So my whole thing was keep the money and at least have three, four months of cash flow at all times and not spend it. Even though my partner was telling me spend, 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 but uh, it was just inside. I just felt guilty if I would spend it. And if for any, for any reason, I would have to put my company and my team at jeopardy. I just want to make sure we always have enough cash flow in the bank. Why? Did you have like a problem growing up where your parents ran out of money? Did you have a previous business that we didn't talk about that ran out of money? Where did this come no, from? No, 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 never, never, never um, had any money issues at all, actually. It was just more that uh, I guess, you know, I am a, a risk taker, but when it comes to big things like that, I'm more risk averse where I looked at the, you know, you know, the long term and not only the short term, but uh, no, it was never, I never had a situation where I was, uh, when I needed it, but um, I don't actually not looking back. I don't even know why I hoard the money. I, I, I still regret it to this day. <laughs> All right. The sale happened not because you were looking for somebody to acquire you. You told me before we got started, you, uh, you, you just got an offer. How did they come up to you? Why did they come to you? So we were at the SAS North conference in uh, Ottawa and uh, we were just there. We were a sponsor. They're a client of ours. And about 20 feet away was a company called Vanilla Soft. The CMO came and said, they focus on um, phone and SMS. And we're like, oh, we focus on email. So we showed him it. The next day he had the CEO come do a demo and he's like, are you looking to get acquired? I'm like, well, I never thought, I mean, obviously I'm thinking about down the road, but I'm not ready for it. The financials aren't ready for it, nothing. And then from there, he's like, well, think about it. And I'd love to show my team a demo. And then that was November of 2019. And it took about 11 months until our exit, but uh, it came out of nowhere. We didn't have audited financials. It was, it, our finances were a disaster because we were so go, go, go. What do you mean by disaster? What was missing? 
Well, it just, they weren't audited. We would have, you know, uh, things in the wrong categories. We'd have, you know, uh, um, our contractors and our commission in the marketing, we're marketing and sales, and it was just all over the place. So we lost a lot of credibility because here's a guy that's a very intelligent guy that's looking to acquire us. And it's like, well, your financials are all over the place. Like what else is all over the place? Yeah. Okay. And then they were offering to buy you. Don't you get as a, as an entrepreneur, a lot of people who come to you and they say, maybe we can buy you. It's almost like the way they say hello. Oh, it's, it's right? even more now. They came to us and uh, we went through a whole day of going through our financials and they gave us an offer, um, which uh, I was, uh, was, was well below what I thought the value was. So that's kind of where I felt like what I was waiting for them to give me the number, which would be the floor. And then I was going to come with the ceiling. And then that's going to where we can actually start doing the negotiations. And so this was, this is partially why it took a year. Why else did it take about a year? The, the, the financials being an issue. What else? You know, it came down price. Um, well, I wasn't, as I said, I wasn't looking to get acquired. So the first few numbers they came up with weren't close. And I said, listen, if we're not going to, we're, we're very far off. It's, it's just not going to happen. And I said, let's just, you know, if you want to revisit this at a later time. And then I just walked away three months later, um, they came back and, uh, we started negotiating again. So, um, I always say when you're, when you are getting acquired, one thing for the listeners is, um, if you're not looking to get acquired and you do get acquired, you have so much leverage in the negotiation that you should use that to your advantage. Um, because it's the people that are desperate to sell that end up getting hurt with the acquisition. Did you go to other companies and say, look, this company VanillaSoft wants to buy me. You should, what should I do? That's the line. What should I do? So that they say, well, maybe we should look at you. You know what? It's fun you say that, that they had me sign an NDA and gave me a letter of intent so quickly. I didn't even have the opportunity to. Wow. Another <laughs> regret? No, um, I'm, I was happy with our, I was happy with the uh, with the outcome. Um, I, I knew in my head what I was looking for, the number I had, and I showed why I think I deserve that number. And uh, anything below that, I was ready to walk away from the beginning. I was not desperate to sell. All right. You told me before we got started, look, the one thing I'd like to do is tell people about some of the mistakes I made. So if they ever go through this, then they'll, they'll be better off if they go through an acquisition. What are the mistakes? So there's, you know, there's, there's a few mistakes that, you know, when going through an acquisition, first of all, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes some time. But one thing was, um, was the working capital. Um, it's part of an acquisition. Working capital is your deferred revenue. It also includes, for example, vacation payout. So we end up negotiating that about a week or two before the exit. And I knew what working capital was for my, my, my M&A course I took during my MBA, but until you're actually really involved in it, you don't know what that number looks like. And for example, us, we were a SaaS platform that got paid up front. So we're a subscription platform that got paid up front, but we had to then provide a year of service. So if I'm getting paid today and I have to provide a year of service, I actually aren't seeing that money. They have to support the new, the person's acquiring you has to actually support that contract. So our deferred revenue was, was well into six figures. Um, close to even get well six in six figures, and that was something I never took into consideration off of the acquisition price. It comes off your acquisition price. So one thing was the working capital. Um, the second thing I think I did was I have you know I'm I'm working there for now 18 months. Um, you know one thing I would have done was negotiated my contract not two weeks before the acquisition, but earlier on, um, because. You know, when you're so far down, your legals in, etc. You know, again, negotiations all about who has more leverage, who's in control, who, who the balls on whose side of the court. And and we're a week before, and I've already paid forty, fifty thousand dollars in legals. 
the balls on their court, they can offer me, you know, offer me whatever I want. I mean, it worked out well, but those were a few of the You would things. have negotiated for a better salary. Is that what we're talking about? More options? Well, yeah, I would, I, would have, I, would have, I would have done more negotiation on my salary earlier on than later on, because when it was later on, I didn't have much, you know, I have no, nothing to really negotiate when we're, we're about to sign the contract for the acquisition. But now did you take all the, did you take all of it in cash or there's, it seems like there's con- some contingency. No, there's it's ca- just strictly cash, uh, cash equity. We didn't right. know. Yeah. Only cash equity. Um, so there is, I do have equity in the company. Um, so obviously, you know, my incentive is to grow that company now. Um, but uh, it was a cash equity deal. Um, and you can't renegotiate we, your salary. It feels like that's something you could go back and renegotiate or negotiate for a bonus or something. Yeah. I mean, definitely can. So that, that has happened, but it would have been something that, you know, being proactive, obviously before. I like to be, I'd be like proactive now it's all been settled and you know, we're, we're both happy, but, um, those would be two things. And, and also yeah, the last thing would be as be more prepared. Um, as I said, we didn't have our financials ready. We didn't have our share certificates printed up and, incorporations and everything in a big folder. We had to look for everything and it just made us look not unprofessional, but kind of like, you know, um, junior, it looked like we weren't prepared, which we weren't. So it gave them leverage early on. I get all of it. The one part that I don't understand is why is it a problem if you collected money up front and they have to service your customers later on, they have the balance sheet, they have the money to do it. Why, why was this an issue at all? Because that comes off the acquisition price. So say, for example, say, for example, my clients are, say you paid me $5,000 today for a subscription. Yep. Okay. Today for 2000 until 2022, uh, the new company now has to pay for support and everything server. So they, costs. Re- they remove that from the acquisition price. You do always. It's working capital. Yeah. I it's always removed. That. Yeah. So that's only on subscription, but if you get paid out, so if you still have to provide the service after the acquisition date, you owe that back to the acquisitioner. All right. I'm looking at the email that you sent me since now I know so much about you. <laughs> I'm wondering, did I send him into our form, which is the way I handle almost all the messages? I didn't. I actually asked Andrea, my assistant, to help. And so I'm looking at your email. It's because it looks like just a personal email from a founder. You didn't type this out. Now I know. You just use your software, used AutoClose, right? To like put mail merge me in. It worked really well. This is one of the few messages that <laughs> I did not send into, into the form. Yeah, I actually did. So you're one of uh, one of 50 and all five that were today were from the same email. It was personalized to you. But it's all, all it's autom- It's an automation that personalizes it. It was me, all right? automated. All, I pressed go and everyone was personalized in one day. You know, the one me, mis- I think, 22, 22 podcast guests by that one email. A lot of people who do that end up saying, Hey, Andrew, I'm a longtime fan of Mixer G startup podcasts. And I realized, ah, they use the title that I actually, (laughs) that's not the way people would refer to it. What you did was you just kept, you kept the um, mail merge to a minimum here. It's podcast guests is a subject line. And then Andrew comma is the only thing that's, uh, that's fill in the blank. The rest of it is just three. Oh, and you also kept it short, three paragraphs. 50 to 75 words. That's all I do. I wonder if saying I recorded with John Barrows and Jeffrey Gittimer is helpful. I, I think that when I find that people have just recorded with other podcasts, first of all, I didn't know who they were, to be honest. Oh, I wasn't thinking about them. But yeah. then usually I think, oh, they're doing a, pound, a round of podcasts. I, I should say no. But I guess it wasn't an issue for me and it wasn't an issue for others. Well, yeah, you know, I mentioned I mentioned some of those names. It worked last year for sales because a lot of people in the sales industry know them. Um, and they have two of the better podcasts out there. Um, but yeah, for the entrepreneurs, I had to have 
some sort of nugget to get in because I haven't really done many, many uh, entrepreneurial podcasts, but uh, you were one of the people that personally replied. And I did, did appreciate that reply, Andrew. All right. You want to know something? The founder of Superhuman, the email software, he did a demo with me where he insisted I couldn't use his freaking software. I couldn't pay him until I did a demo with him. And so we did the demo and, and um, he says, tell me some of the things that you do. Let me go through your email. So he's watching me email and he goes, stop right there. We could do a one-click thing for you where we don't just give you a canned response, but we'll put Andrea in the two line for the, so that's what I use. As soon as I definitely read it, I definitely liked it. And I, I responded, but I just used this automation that said, Andrea, could you help? Uh... And then I emailed Andrea. All right, automation on top of automation on top of automation. In this case, it worked. Most people are kind of knuckleheads about the freaking thing. I want to embarrass them so much sometimes because I get so <laughs> freaking angry. It's like, Andrew, I've been a longtime fan of Mixer. Do you start a podcast featuring Andrew Warner? And I want to tell you, ah, you know, you weren't. All right, that's just my own personal anger issues. We're going to put those aside right now because we've learned a lot in this interview. Number one, we learned about data that you can basically take somebody else's discarded idea, right? Jigsaw was an idea that, yep. that did well. You, you jumped on it and you built it up. Number two, we came up with a few business ideas that I've shot out at you, which is like, let's sell data. Let's just get email addresses of podcasts and all yep. that stuff. Number three, we learned, get your, get your finances in order. What else did we learn? What, did I, what am I missing? Number, number four? I would just say number four is, you know, expect the unexpected. You might, an acquisition might just land on your lap. So always be prepared. Number five, don't be so cheap. Stop hoarding money. Maybe you need like a year. No, actually, I, I've got a number that I always need to keep in my mind. And then and and then the rest I'm willing to risk. But I need I need some big cushion. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for doing this interview. We're gonna look forward to the book. The company name is uh, auto close with a K. And I'm grateful to the two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first, if you're hosting a website. Go to HostGator, HostGator.com slash Mixergy. And the second, if you want to get leads for yourself or maybe you want to sell that as a service to other people, go check out, go watch the video on Zopto. Here's a URL for that. It's Mixergy.com slash Zopto. Sean, thanks so much for doing this interview. Andrew, thanks for having me on. All right. Bye. Bye, everyone.